Would you please remain standing here as we hear from the word of the Lord as he speaks again to us here this evening. Hear God's word at this time. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And Lord, do indeed bless our time at this, as we come before your word. As always, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Please be seated. And if you would, grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5. Thanks. 1 Peter chapter 5. We, uh, sorry, for chapter 4. <laughs> We're looking at verses 12 through 19. 1 Peter chapter 4. I want to take you back for just a second, if you would, to uh, those very annoying teenage years. Uh, most of you can do that at this point. Uh, some folks here can't, but most of us can think back to those annoying teenage years when you were. Well, when you were annoying, uh, when, uh, you know, everything was, uh, oh, I don't want to do that, or oh, this is stupid, or when you were grumpy, or what a groany, or whatever. You know, I want you to think back at those times for a second, because that's an experience that all of us share uh, uh, on some way or another. Obviously, the annoyingness varies with the teenager at spots, uh, and the time somewhat varies my family insists that I went through uh, the annoying teenage years for decades. Uh, but you get that grumpy kind of a, a, of a way about you and stuff like that. Now, one of the frustrating things about disciplining or uh, teaching or helping through the period of the annoying teenage years is that it's hard to pin down what's so annoying. Because often the teenager is able to say, well, what did I do wrong? Well, you didn't do anything. It's not that you did something, it's just, it's just that attitude, whatever that is. It's just that attitude that sometimes shows itself, obviously not something just limited to those annoying teenage years. We all know what it's like to have that kind of an attitude that interferes or that shapes so much of what we are doing in the way in which we think of life. The attitude, how often do you hear you know, it's not just what you're doing that's important. It's the attitude in which you are coming from. We are looking at First Peter, have been for weeks, uh, wrapping up. We're actually towards the end of First Peter at this point. And during First Peter, after he has introduced the idea of who we are in Christ, Peter then spends a whole lot of his epistle, most of the book here, actually talking about what it means to suffer. And we have looked at that in various forms. We looked at the idea of Jesus Christ as that model for suffering. 
the change that takes place when we, in our minds, our hearts, and our wills through suffering as we orient ourselves more towards lead. We looked at the process that you can kind of go through, that suffering takes us through, that process that often we are fed through when we experience suffering. And I encourage you to look at that as kind of a checklist to be able to say, how am I experiencing suffering the way that the scriptures are talking about? All of those things and more are included here in Peter's epistle as he writes about suffering. But I believe that you could faithfully follow all of those. You could go through and check off that you're being obedient in this way. You're seeing this transformation take place in your life. You're doing all the things that 1 Peter can be talking about and still miss something crucial about our characters that Peter wants to cover here. And that deals with our attitude. When we go through suffering, when we go through trials, Peter says, focus upon Jesus Christ. Think of what he has done. Consider the sufferings of our Lord. When we go through trials and difficulties, Peter says to us, when you do so, think of it this way and have this change taking place in your life and view yourself along these lines. There's all these encouragements that Peter is giving and you can faithfully follow all of those and still miss the spirit that Peter has placed before us when he says this is what it means to suffer as a Christian. And so when we get to this text, what Peter does is he shifts not from a blow-by-blow or a play-by-play about, hey, how you suffer, or even looking at Jesus Christ as the model for our suffering. Instead, what he does here is he says, where's your attitude? Because you can suffer in a godly way and still miss the point, the reason for our suffering. We looked at this a number of weeks ago suffering for righteousness sake that's what peter's talking about that's what we are looking at and not just doing it right but having the right attitude affects us this is why uh the songs that we sang the uh scripture that doug read so wonderfully there about the beatitudes ending with that focus upon our persecution and why keith's uh, testimony witness to God's work in this what's why they all fit together what holds them together is not just that we all go through trials and difficult times but that the Christian is called to do so with a certain attitude let's take a look at what that is if again you open your scriptures first Peter chapter 4 verse 12 Peter writes beloved do not be beloved he calls us beloved, by the way. This is only the second spot in, in Scripture, in uh, Peter's epistle, where he uses that term. I just love that term, beloved. Uh, and it's not a popular one these days, and so a lot of modern translations try to smear it out. And so they, call, they say, dear friends, or devoted ones, or something like that. But I challenge you, you go up to somebody and say, dear friend, can I do this for you? They'll say, you're weird, and they'll go ahead and help you out a little bit. But you go up to them and you say, beloved, let me say this, and they'll hit you. Uh, no, I mean, it, it, the, beloved just carries so much weight. It, it, I love the term, beloved. Uh, and think about it, when do you use the term beloved? My guess is, for those of us who are married or in dating relationships or whatever, you, you use the term beloved 
either in one of two circumstances. When you're trying to cuddle up with somebody or when you're trying to develop that intimacy, you know, hey, beloved, you know, you use that term, or when else? When you're trying to soften the blow or something like that. And I think that's what Peter has in mind here. Peter says, hey, beloved, right before he turns around and smacks you one, as I think he does so when he says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial which with, with, when it comes upon you. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial. The fiery trial here, let's orient ourselves once again, because to be fair to the text, what Peter is talking about, what is Peter talking about? Peter's focus here is upon the Christians they're about to enter into or are currently experiencing a tremendous persecution. Uh, the persecution that the Christians went through during the time period, around the decade in which Peter wrote this, was horrific, particularly if you were a Christian in, in Rome and in the surrounding uh, area around the city of Rome. It was terrible. What Peter's talking about is a persecution that, by God's gift and grace, is at a style, is at a temperament that we don't have to experience, and that's a beautiful blessing uh, for us at this point. Who knows what the Lord will yet lead us to, but at this point we don't have that type of persecution. I don't feel, though, that it's a terrible thing as long as we hold on to the memory here. The, we remember that when Peter's writing this, he's writing to those who are experiencing great persecution. I think that it's easy for us to try to move that sideways a little bit and say, okay, he's talking about persecution, suffering in terms of persecution, but we can translate some of the same ideas that Peter has here to the kind of sufferings that we experience each and every day, the frustration of our jobs, the brokenness of our relationships, the spiritual failings in our hearts to be and to mature in the way that God desires us to be and to mature. All of these things and so much more are ways in which we, the loss of loved ones, uh, the, the unexpected or expected illnesses that come upon us, in all these ways and so much more, we suffer Perhaps not at the level of persecution that Peter is talking about, but nevertheless, I think it's easy. It's not hard for us to translate those over. And so let's translate it in the exact same way that I think Peter intends for us to do. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. The fiery trial here. Uh, the idea of this is, is um, the, the burning of a city or the sack of a city. When a uh, an army takes a city and they intend to level it. They burn it to the ground. They, they uh, t totally set it on fire and they sack the city, etc. And that's the word that's used. Actually, that's the word that's used in Scripture for Babylon. What happens to Babylon, the city, when it gets destroyed, it gets burned in this fiery trial. But the word fiery here doesn't so much mean uh, consumed, that it's all burnt up, as more it emphasizes the pain aspect of this. Uh, the word choice that Peter uses here is to emphasize the painful nature of the trials. In other words, Peter, as he writes this way, he doesn't want you to get, uh, you know, uh, glass eyes. He doesn't want you to think, oh, well, this is just all flowery, fluff stuff here. When you suffer, I want you to do it this way. He's recognizing the brutality of the suffering that Christians go through. He's recognizing the brutality of the suffering that you go through. He acknowledges it right off the top. He says they are fiery trials. Do not be surprised at the fiery trials which come upon you, when they come upon you. 
Uh, there's a hint in this in the English in our ears that that's a possibility. Don't be surprised if perhaps somewhere down the line you end up suffering. That's not what Peter's saying. Peter is very much so explicitly identifying, don't be surprised at the trials that you are experiencing right now. Don't be surprised at those trials that are coming as though something strange were happening to you. So he gives a command here, don't be surprised. Why does Peter feel compelled to give this command? I think there's only one reason. Because people are surprised. Because Peter, as a good pastor, as a good apostle, he is in touch with his Christian brothers and sisters, and they are undergoing this intense persecution. They are undergoing suffering that's very similar to some of the suffering in which we are going through, and people are acting surprised. And so Peter says, the first command here about your attitude, don't be surprised. Now, the word surprised here doesn't mean shocked. It doesn't mean, uh, this isn't a fright uh, tendency or something like that. This isn't a scare tactic. I thought for a second at this point that I would scream boo really loud, uh, but then I wanted to keep my job, so I decided against it. But, you know, just to see how people would react to something really scary. Uh, that Peter's not saying don't be shocked or don't be startled by the suffering that is happening upon you. Who doesn't do that? You know, we, you, come in, you get a phone call from your child or from your parent or something, and they relay bad news for you. Peter's not saying, now, don't you be shocked by that. No, of course, we're, we're all deadly surprised by something like that. What Peter is saying here is don't be surprised. Don't be bewildered. Don't be confused. Don't be... Uh, 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 befuddled by what has taken place here. Now, why are you not supposed to be befuddled? Why are you not supposed to be confused when Christians are suffering and experiencing difficulty in this world? Peter says that if you are confused by that, you have got fundamental theological or biblical understanding or your worldview, the way you're looking at, the, at life in general is wrong. This is a simple fix. Get your theology right. What do I mean by that? Well, Peter makes it clear. Jesus makes it clearer. How many times does Jesus say, if you're going to follow me? So if you have your scriptures, if you were to flip, for instance, to Matthew 16, Peter says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Peter says, if you're going to follow, sorry, Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you have to pick up your cross. You have to follow after me. And the cross means one thing, and one thing only, to those people of, of, the Pal of first century Palestine in the Greco-Roman world, it meant one thing, intense persecution and suffering. Jesus says, if they persecuted me, of course they're going to persecute you. If our Lord underwent suffering, of course you are going to undergo suffering. How could you be surprised by that? Peter's call is, when you're undergoing difficulty and suffering, of course it's hard. Of course it's a fiery trial. But Peter's words is, are, how can you be surprised? It's woven into the very fabric of being a Christian. 
Now, way too often, our misunderstanding is fed by a society, by a world, by our sinful hearts that want to convince us that if you're a Christian, somehow God's going to make everything perfect. And so when something doesn't go perfect, you're surprised, you're confused, you're bewildered by it. That's simply not the picture that Jesus himself puts forward. You wonder how the guy has any followers at all. Because he announces right off the top, if you're going to follow me, you are going to suffer. If you're surprised, you're missing that biblical message that comes across over and over again, that Christ's people suffer because he suffered. That's first. But the second issue is also a theological one. We live in a broken, sinful world. Even after we are redeemed, our Lord does not save us and then transport us somehow into a world where sin doesn't happen. Sin remains gripped in our hearts, gripped in who we are. Everybody who's a follower knows that. We're struggling hard against that indwelling sin, and that indwelling sin from the, in our own hearts and from the world as a whole leads us into trouble, and there is suffering and there is persecution. If you're surprised by that, then somehow you're not giving credit to the power of sin. Sin is this deadly anti-God thing. It's not just, oh, we make mistakes. We minimize it. Sin is this deadly thing. It is anti-God. And of course, if you are seeking righteousness, if you are pursuing the Lord for as he calls us to do, if we are suffering for righteousness sake, that's what Peter's got in mind here, well, of course, there is going to be suffering. Of course, there's going to be troubles. To have it in your head somehow that you're surprised by suffering reveals that attitude reveals a fundamental misunderstanding of the nature of sin and of the nature of following Jesus Christ. Now, of course, Scripture is also filled with the beautiful message that our Lord is ultimately victorious over all of those things. Absolutely, and that's going to come up in a few minutes in Peter's own words here. Of course that's true, but we are not to be surprised as we go through suffering. Now what do I mean by that? You've all heard it. We've all said it. Oh Lord, why is this happening to me? Oh Lord, why does this happen to my loved one? Oh Lord, why does this happen to these people again and again and again? We ask those questions. I'm okay with those questions, both personally and also pastorally. But somewhere in there, our theology, the scriptures need to kick in and remind us that we live in a broken world. We live in a sinful place. And those things happen. And, of course, we only emphasize that because it just elevates in our minds, it elevates in our eyes the utter and complete victory of Jesus Christ. Christ is not victorious over a little thing. Christ is victorious over this massive thing that even in our lives here, while we live upon this earth, we experience the continual sufferings of living in a broken and sinful world. So Peter wants us to reorient our attitude here. He says, hey, if you're suffering Ratchet your mind around here. Think 
along this. His first part, his first message for the attitude, for an attitude chuck for any sufferer, is, is asking this, am I surprised by this, or do I realize that this is the world, this is the broken world that Christ is redeeming each and every day? First thing is an attitude check, do not be surprised, but, and then we move to verse 13, but your attitude's not supposed to be of surprise. What is it supposed to be of? An attitude of, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Rejoice, that word means, well, it means rejoice. It means there should be this period, this, this outward manifestation of the joy that your Lord has placed within you. That doesn't mean that you bounce around and say, wow, everything's terrible, I'm so happy about it. That's not what rejoicing is. Rejoicing is demonstrating to the world, to, to yourself in the mirror, but then to the rest of the world, hey, this is a miserable time in my life, but by golly, it is a life that is held by my Savior, and nothing is better than that. And so we, we rejoice, and the, the word here is is like it's a continual thing. It's not a momentary rejoicing, but it's a continual rejoicing. When we share in Christ's sufferings, now again, what are we talking about here? All, all Peter's mentality, again, is the suffering that is ours for righteousness sake. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago, if you were with us, or if you go back and want to look at it in chapter 3. We are suffering for righteousness sake. That is, we're suffering because we're Christians, somebody is persecuting us or something like that, or we're suffering in such a way that righteousness is being built and developed in your life. If you choose in the midst of your suffering, if you desire for that suffering to be shaped for God's glory in your life, then you are suffering for righteousness' sake. How are we sharing in Christ's sufferings? Because Christ suffered on the cross. He was nailed on the cross. He took upon himself all of our sin. How does my trouble with my family member, how does my difficulty at work, how, how does my financial crisis, how does that connect with Christ being nailed on the cross? But again, of course, that's exactly what takes place with the believer when we are united with Christ. In God's redemptive plan, his idea is for each and every person that he calls to himself, he will unite them with Jesus Christ. And the experience that Christ has, we experience as well. He is nailed on the cross, and we share that. We share in the suffering. So the difficulties, the struggles, the everyday troubles that we have are connected to the punishment for sin that Jesus Christ bore for each and every one of us. Again, a sense of rejoicing. This suffering, this difficulty that I'm going through doesn't mean that I'm happy about it, but I can rejoice. Why? Because this is evidence of my being connected with Jesus Christ. I share, we rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Okay, th so that we rejoice in the present sense, that's the first part of the verse, but rejoice right now in your sufferings so that you may rejoice and be glad when Christ is, is revealed. Okay, so this is a rejoice in the present 
so that you will further rejoice. It's unfortunate in our ESV here, um, the, the rejoicing. It sounds like Peter used the same word. He didn't. He used a, it's, it's a hyper word. Uh, so the second rejoice is hyper. Uh, it kind of in, in, envisions somebody jumping up and down and stuff like that. That's kind of the word that he has, uses there. So you rejoice right now because when Christ comes in his glory, you will be rejoicing, jumping up and down kind of. We, um, I'm a big Disney fan, big Disney fan, or, uh, uh, Disneyland and all this kind of stuff. I'm, I, I love it all over the place. And when Kelly and I decided to take our family there a couple of uh, years ago, I was all excited. Uh, I rejoiced when we made that decision. But it was only partially what it was like when I finally got to Disney World. And then I really rejoiced. You know, I was jumping up and down, embarrassing my kids. It was glorious. Um, that, that's the idea, that we're rejoicing now in a little bit because when Christ comes in his glory, we will really be rejoicing, jumping up and down. Now that's possible because Peter understands something that we all too often brush aside. Peter's high point in his life had to have been, one of his high points in his life had to have been where Jesus says, who do you think I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And then Christ says to him, upon you will be the rock. It was a high point, immediately followed by Jesus then saying, as the Messiah, I am going to suffer and die for you. And Peter's saying, you can't do that. You just told us you were the Messiah. And Jesus taking him aside and saying, get behind me, Satan. Moses had just taken the Israelites out of Egypt. And within months, within days, the Israelite community was falling apart. They were falling into idolatry. They were arguing with each other. They were complaining. They were causing immense trouble for Moses. And Moses is just like pulling his hair out. He's got, well, he's really old, so he probably doesn't have any hair. But you get the idea. He's just so frustrated. He's like, what am I going to do with these people? And he goes to Mount Sinai and meets with God. And while he's meeting with God, the people continue to fall into debauchery. Like they're just falling apart. And Moses is horrified. And God then says, Moses, I want you to lead these people, and you're going to lead these people into the world in such a way that the whole world will know that I am God. And Moses says, these people? Don't. And, and it's like, oh my gosh, I can't take these folks. They'll never hold it together, Lord. And God says to him, uh, sorry, Moses says to God, God, don't send me out to represent your name. Don't send us out to represent your name if you won't go with us. And so then God says, I will go with you, and I will go before you. And God goes before the Israelites because they can't do it on their own. And Moses is so overcome with gratitude. He's so taken by this. Thank you that you're not pushing these people out into this impossible task, but you're going to go with us. You're going to go before us. Please, God, show me your glory. You remember this passage? Show me your glory. And God says, if you see my face, you will surely die. The glory is so overwhelming. You will surely die. But I'll tell you what I'll do. There's a little cleft in the rock here. And so he picks up Moses. Moses is real little at this point. He picks up Moses and he sticks him in the cleft of the rock. And he says, now I'm going to cover you with my hand. 
until I walk by. And then after I walk by, I'll take my hand away so that you can see my backside. And so Moses then is able to look, not at the glory of God from the face, but at his backside. Martin Luther, as some of you might know, uh, could be crass at certain points. Uh, and so he made great comments about what, God, what Moses was looking at, you know, God's backside, ha, 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 and funny and all that stuff. But when he got serious, he said, what is God's backside? It is the cross of Jesus Christ. Because Moses sees what Peter learns, what keeps our attitude right as believers that the glory of God is connected to the suffering of our God. That it is that shining face that would kill us all because of its great and overwhelming glory that comes across as the suffering of Jesus Christ. And so Peter says here, he says, don't let your attitude be one of surprise. Don't be shocked at the suffering that you're going through, but rejoice. Why? Because the sufferings that you're experiencing connect you with Jesus Christ, which is connected to the glory of God. I want you to hear it again. How beautiful this is. But rejoice. I can't imagine I'm speaking to anybody here who isn't suffering, at least on some level right now. So you all can do this right now. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Why? So that you might hyper-rejoice and be glad when His, Christ's, glory is revealed. Because His glory is connected to His sufferings on the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, how taken we are by your wonderful gift of grace here to us anew in the scriptural text that you have not left us without a corrective moment here in our hearts because Lord I can't imagine I'm not surrounded by people right now whose attitude is that we are surprised by suffering. Lord I, I know it's the case for me I can't imagine it's not the case for all of us but that's not what we want. What we want, Lord, is to have that attitude that you have communicated in the scriptures right here, that we would have an attitude of rejoicing in our sufferings because of the glory that is yet to come. Father, I know I want to see the glory from the front side, and yet you have revealed that glory from the backside, the suffering of Jesus Christ. And in that, Lord, I rejoice we glory, Lord, because it is that suffering that brings us new life in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.